0: this is my first time running it. And if you become a beta client, you're going to get this really crazy price discount, but you're going to get more access to me in exchange for feedback, because that's what you want. You want feedback. And then learn from that, update the program. And then at that point, you can relaunch it at your higher price point. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your business?
1: Then welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast helping home professionals and luxury brands accelerate their success with proven marketing strategies and expert industry practices. Now, here's your host, Darla Powell. Hey there, and welcome to the Wingnut Social podcast. I'm your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things here at Wingnut Social, a digital marketing agency for the interior design space and adjacent verticals. And today's show is all about becoming an online coach Online coaching. Have you had clients or other interior designers come to you and ask for advice on how to maybe start their own decorating or interior design business because they see that you're so successful at it? Have you thought, hey, maybe this is something I could do on the side? The interior design gigs are getting a little stressful. There's stuff on back order. I'm pulling out my hair, I'm getting gray hairs maybe online coaching is the way to go. So on today's episode, Kendra Perry is going to walk us through exactly how she did that. But first, before we get into my conversation with Kendra, a little bit of housekeeping. Tomorrow, June 30th at 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, whatever that is now, Rochelle Platt of RLP Interiors is going to walk us through Value engineered furniture, what it is, why it's so crappy and how you can educate your clients as to the value of it. And you're not going to want to miss that. You can head on over to wingnutsocial.com slash webinar or just hit up the website, go to wingnut academy, which is coming soon and go to that drop down and you'll see that you can register for free, 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 free. And if for some reason you're unable to make it at 11 a.m. at that time tomorrow, then register anyway, so you can at least see the replay. Had an overwhelming response. A lot of people have signed up for this. So Rochelle Plett clearly is a big deal (laughs) when it comes to this. Wingnut Academy, again, pushed back a little bit because we are just so busy here at Wingnut Social. The demand for our marketing services is uh, insane, really. I'm incredibly grateful for that. I am hiring like crazy, but uh, the word has gotten out that uh, Wingnut Social is the go-to for digital marketing for the interior design adjacent verticals. So thank you so much for that. But again, wingnutsocial.com to get notifications for when that bad boy launches. It's going to be amazing. Trust me when I tell you. All right, that's it for housekeeping. Now y'all know what time it is. Time for many news, many news sesh. Yeah. Yeah! Okay, this week on the mini news sesh, we welcome back Emily Lisi, digital content manager at Wingnut Social. Emily, we're talking about engagement rates. It sounds kind of nerdy, but I think it's important. What is it?
2: Yeah, so I just want to talk about engagement rates just because there was a industry benchmarking report that came out recently, and I think it's really informative, uh, especially for our specific niche of interior designers and decor professionals. So first of all, engagement rate is the percentage of people who see your post and then engage with it in some sort of way. So that can be a like, a comment, a share, a save, things like that. So where we're getting this information from is actually Later, which is a social media scheduling platform, they analyzed over 63 million posts from over 600,000 accounts. So this data is super informative. This data is actually based on the analysis of Instagram feed posts collected from 30 different industries. So the one we're going to be touching on, of course, is our industry, which is interior design, specifically the home decor industry is what they call it. It's important to note that this excludes Reels and IGTV posts or Instagram video posts, just because Instagram doesn't give us the engagement stats on those yet. One interesting thing is that not a single industry saw an increase in average engagement rate from 2019 to 2021, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, The overall engagement rate actually decreased by over 28% across all industries.
1: When did TikTok come out? 2019?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Not
1: that there's any relation. No, no.
2: There is potentially a relation to Reels though, Okay, because Reels came out in late 2020, I believe. And with Instagram pushing Reels so much, that resulted in less engagement on normal feed posts. That actually ties back to the fact that the data isn't recording the engagement rate that you're getting from the reels. So this is specifically engagement rate on things like feed posts and normal video posts. This is showing us that normal feed posts without video, long form or short form in the form of reels, is getting decreased engagement rates.
1: Okay, so what does this mean for us in the interior design industry?
2: If you want to get an idea, if your engagement rate is good or bad, high or low. This is going to give you a good idea of that. So I'm going to go over the average engagement rates based on follower count for people in the home decor industry. So, if you have 100 to 1000 followers, the average engagement rate is going to be 2.8%. So, if you're above 2.8%, you're above average. So that's great. Anything below 2.8 and you're below average. If you've got 1,000 to 10,000 followers, the average engagement rate is going to be 1.46. 10,000 to 100,000 followers, and the average engagement rate is going to be 0.7%. And then 100,000 followers and more, the average engagement rate is going to be about 0.54%. So as your followers increase, you're going to get, in general, a lower engagement rate. Why is that? Well, the way later calculated was actually based on the number of followers you have. So as you have more followers, more and more aren't going to be seeing your posts. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So if you want to check your own engagement rate, the best way to do this is actually with the reporting and analytics tool. So if you have something like later or we use eClincher here, it'll show you those reports easily. You can see your average engagement rate super easily. But If you don't have a tool like that, you're going to have to manually calculate it, unfortunately. The way to do that is to do your engagement numbers divided by reach times 100. Okay. So, for example, if your post got 150 engagements and reached 5,000 people, your engagement rate is going to be 3%.
1: And then you're above average if you have 1 to 100 followers. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, this will all be in the show notes as well. So if you're out there scratching your head, don't worry, just head on over to wingnutsocial.com slash podcast for this episode 271 and you can get all these numbers in the show notes.
2: This is one for people who like numbers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you're not sure how to see the total engagements and reach, just go to the post on Instagram, tap post insights, and then you'll see under accounts reached and accounts engaged. That's where you'll see those numbers there. So then you just whip out your calculator and, and put the numbers.
1: All right. That's some really good advice. So if your engagement rate is below average, what are some of the things that we need to be looking at to get that up to par? Because I know that's one of the most important metrics that companies or brands who want to partner or collaborate with you are looking at not even so much the follower count, but the percentage of engagement. That's super important.
2: Yeah. So that really depends on your personal brand. What we've seen with a lot of our clients is that Actually, photos of them that aren't necessarily even professional photos are getting a much higher engagement rate than even, you know, professional shots of their designs. That's not to say that including professional shots of your designs isn't important, but we are seeing a trend that pictures of them, videos Mm -hmm. of them kind of behind the scenes, a look at their team. Those are performing really well on the feed. But of course, other than that, reels. Reels is the way to go if you want to get that engagement up.
1: Yeah, reels is definitely the secret sauce. And if you do a reel with your face in it, man, that's just got to be gold, right?
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Emily Lisi, thank you so much for joining us again this week. I think I have you next week too, right?
2: Maybe, not sure yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a good one.
2: Thanks, you too. Many new
1: sesh. Yeah! yeah! Hey there, Kendra Perry. Welcome to the show. How the hell are you?
0: I'm doing Really good. I had a great morning. I got out for a walk. I saw the sunrise. I like read a book. I had some coffee. So I'm good. (laughs) And it's only 10. (laughs) It's only 10. I know. I'm (laughs) I'm a bit of an early riser.
1: (laughs) I'm a little raspy today. I have some allergies going on. It's raining here in Southern Maryland. I don't know what it is. So if I sound like Brenda Vaccaro, those of you who are my age might get that joke. Um, Now you know why. (laughs) (laughs) so Kendra today we're going on a little bit of a detour but it's still very relevant and relatable I think to my interior design audience and we're talking about how to start an online coaching business and all of the uh the rigmarole that that entails and (laughs) I'm sure that they're out there listening and there's more than one (laughs) that's like you know coaching might not be a bad idea. (laughs) Because the interior design industry, the the business model can be um, complex and sometimes frustrating. So if you're at that point, to where you're like, I think I want to hang up my designer hat and start coaching. This is the show for you. So Kendra, before we dig in, just tell us who you are and how you help and we'll get going.
0: Yeah. So I'm Kendra Perry. I'm an online business mentor for health coaches and health practitioners. I used to be a health coach, started my business in 2014 as a functional health coach, mostly to help myself, actually, you know, I wish I was saying I was did it to help other people. But mostly I was having a lot of my own health issues. And I saw, you know, getting a certification in health coaching as a way to sort of help myself. And then that turned into a career because at the time I wasn't making a lot of money in my current career, I was working in forestry, which was, you know, planting trees, fighting forest fires, um, designing cut blocks for logging operations, like very physical job. And I was exhausted, and I was totally burnt out. And I was having all these health issues. So 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 I knew I needed something else and I live in a really tiny town. So there wasn't a ton of opportunity. So I was like, online business sounds like the way to go. So I did that, built that business for five years. And then in 2019, just kind of got a bit burned out with it and just really love the business side of things like the tech, the strategy, all that stuff. I'm super obsessed with it. So it seemed like a natural transition to move over into the online business space to help professionals and practitioners and coaches build their own business.
1: Well, like I said, I'm sure that there's that percentage of the audience that just, oh, I'm so burnt out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wanna, totally. I wanna, they're they're going to sit down, pull the car over and and take some notes. So, so let's start at the very beginning. What better place to start? So if you're out there and you're, you have a full-time business, or like you said, if you're an interior designer and you're like kind of burnt out and you're thinking, man, maybe I want to transition into coaching. What are the first steps? What do we start looking at?
0: Well, I think the first thing to consider is you know, we're all an expert in something. And so your audience are experts in interior design. And so there's a huge opportunity there that they could sell essentially like their knowledge, their process and information into a, program, an online program, a coaching program. And I'm sure there's a lot of new interior designers that maybe need help with the business side of things. Or, you know, maybe there's something that you learned as an interior designer that you wish you knew when you were starting out. And that can all be rolled over into a coaching program, right? If you want to stick with like the interior design route, but maybe you're an expert in something else. You know, and just to give a really interesting example, there is a guy who has a multiple seven figure business and he teaches people how to train their cats to poop in the toilet. So (laughs) You know, it doesn't have to be anything like you didn't have to go to school for it. You don't have to be like this super crazy, smart academic person. Like sometimes you just understand how to do something that other people want to do and they don't know how, and you're just simplifying it for them and you're providing support. Right. And so a lot of different things can be rolled over into a coaching business. I just want to like make that really clear that you don't necessarily like need to have like some specific education. Like you're an expert in something. You could teach that to other people and support them with their journey through that. Okay. So that's the first thing to consider. Now, the most important thing that I think, and this is true for any business owner is, and it's probably true in interior design as well is figuring out what your niche is, right? Like what segment of the market are you going to target? Cause for example, you know, if we're talking about like health coaching, no one's out there looking for health coaching, no one's looking for that, but they are looking for very specific solutions to very specific problems as are the people who you could serve. Like they're maybe not looking for, interior design as an overall thing, or maybe they are, but maybe they're looking for one really specific thing. And this might be a stupid example, because I don't understand that space, but like, they're like bathroom design or something like that. No,
1: that exists.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's about like figuring out what's the single problem that I solve for people? And who is this person? Because we're not just selling coaching. Coaching is boring. No one wants coaching but we're selling solutions to problems, right? Mm. And so you have to figure out like, not only like what problem am I solving for this person? And it needs to be like a good problem, something that they are actively searching us for a solution for or something that's like keeping them up at night. They're like, oh man, I just can't figure this out and I don't know what to do. Like it, there needs to be a, some a little bit of friction because that's what people pay for. They pay to solve problems that are kind of big deals, right? But we also wanna understand like, who is the person we're helping because that affects how we talk about what we do. You know, if I'm targeting, say, like new moms versus college age kids, maybe they have the same problem, but one just had a baby and the other is like partying in university. We communicate with those people very differently. We want to make sure we're always using language that people understand and they get. And like the reason why someone might want to solve their problem as a college age kid and a new mom might be very different, even though the problem's the same. So we really want to understand the niche, which is who do we help? Who is this person? What's the problem that they have? And what's the outcome that we can provide them with our coaching? Because that's what we're we're selling. We're selling the outcome. People want the outcome. They don't want coaching. They don't want health coaching. They don't want the general thing. They want like the specific solution to their problem. So that's number one is to first understand that you can monetize anything. You can monetize any information or any skill that you've mastered. But number two, it's actually like narrowing down, like who's the who and what's the problem that we solve and the outcome that we offer. How niche is
1: too niche in the interior design industry? And let me give you an example. So I'm friends with, and I'm aware of a lot of interior design business coaches, and that's it. Interior design business coaches. Um, But I like what you said. Maybe you could whittle that down and be specifically how to help interior designers who specialize in kitchen and bath design to run their business more efficiently or make more money. Or would you recommend to even niche down to, okay, maybe I want to be a coach to interior designers who have their systems and processes together, but an interior design business coach that will coach you on how to attract more higher end clients or to switch from being a general overall designer to being a targeted aesthetic? Or is that too niche? Should we be more broad? Or am I thinking too
0: small? So I think the more niche you can go, the better. I'll give you an example. So I have a program that I don't really outwardly market. It's called HTMA Expert. And it teaches health professionals how to interpret a very obscure functional task called hair tissue mineral analysis. And Nobody knows what the f*** that is. No one knows what that is, right? (laughs) Health practitioners, health coaches, they don't even really know what it is. Like, it's crazy niche. I built it a few years ago because it was part of my health journey. It was a big way that I helped improve my health. And some people wanted to learn it. So I said, hey, I'm just going to build a course because I couldn't find any training on it. I had to spend years on PubMed and hiring experts to learn it, spending thousands of dollars. So I made this course. And like this course has probably generated me mm, over half a million dollars in the past couple of years. And I don't do anything to market it because we just ranked number one on Google and people just find it. And there's no competition. There's a few other courses out there, but I've just made mine the best. And it was really easy because I'm only competing with like three or four people, you know? So I don't think there's anything wrong with going super hyper niched, right? I think mm-hmm. if a niche isn't working for you, it's not necessarily like the niche. It's probably more of like how you're communicating, what you do and how you're actually saying it, like people don't quite get it or you're not quite hitting on like the pain point, right? So I think the more niche you can go the better because truly what you're doing is you're becoming a specialist, right? If you're helping interior designers who focus on kitchen, who wanna get high ticket clients, like that's very, you could probably even go deeper than that, right? And I think that's great because then you really stand out. You're not just like, I'm an interior design coach. Like I actually do this specific thing. And if this is what you're wanting, I'm your person.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. That's a really good differentiator and positioning. I love that. Would you recommend that someone kind of start just dipping their toes in this as a side hustle to their full-time interior design or just go ahead and do it full, 100%?
0: You know, I think it kind of depends on where people are at, right? If people are making um, a really good income as an interior design, then they might just want to kind of do it more slowly, right? Because sometimes starting a new business, you don't make money in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. It takes time to build. And that can be really stressful if you're like worried about paying your bills. And I think when we're desperate for money, we take on the wrong clients and we put our very attached desperation energy and vibes like out into the marketing space. And I think that people feel that they don't maybe know what they're feeling, but they're like, yeah, I don't know, something's off with this person and I don't know what it is. Right. So I think it kind of depends where people are financially. Like if you, you know, if that's paying your bills, like maybe you just transition it to part-time dip your toes in, like see if you like it. And then just sort of like go from there versus like, maybe you have a bunch of money in the bank and you're just like, <laughs> I hate this. I wanna do this anymore. Then if you can bankroll it, then just go into it. But the great thing about coaching is there's not much for startup costs, right? You don't have to have overhead. You don't have to buy all these big things. You really just need like a laptop, a space and, you know, probably willing to spend about like three to $400 a month on some online tools and um, getting your first assistant, because I think I'm a big proponent of outsourcing before you need it and getting someone like to do customer service for you or whatever, because we have to focus on those money making tasks. Right? And
1: your marketing agency, don't forget that.
0: Oh, yes. And the marketing agency with Darla.
1: (laughs) Okay, so our audience has put a lot of time into their branding, their website, their marketing, their messaging, their persona, all of that stuff out there. Can they start to put the messaging out there with their existing channels, their existing website, existing social media channels? Or are we recommending a complete separate rebrand?
0: Well, I guess it depends on who's in the audience, right? Because I'm guessing that if you have all that set up to be an interior designer, then the people who are probably following you are probably potential clients, people who are looking for interior design versus people who actually wanna learn it, right? So it, it seems like it would be two separate audiences something to keep in mind is when you have two avatars, two separate audiences, it is two businesses. So it's double the work for a short time. I did both health coaching and business coaching. Um, when I first transitioned over, I tried to do both and I didn't last very long. It was exhausting. It was just too much. And I think the best way to scale any business is simplicity. And it's one thing, you know, like one client, one type of client, one program, one social media channel, like one, 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 like the more we can simplify the better. Some people, and I think this depends on a lot of different things. Some people are like the multitasker types. If anyone's familiar with human design, they are the manifesting generators, the people who are, you know, they can just handle a bunch of tasks. They can do multiple things like that type of person could probably do it. But it is something to keep in mind that, you know, if you're going to do this, look at who's in your audience. Like maybe there are other interior designers in your audience and they just follow your stuff because they like it, right? And they're getting ideas from you. So there's nothing wrong with reaching out and asking, like, who here is an interior designer? Who here would be interested in this? And just kind of getting a read of the room.
1: I love it. That's where I was actually going with that. Because a lot of the interior designers, for whatever reason, we like to follow each other. You know, we like to get in there and see what everybody else is doing and lift each other up and support each other for the most part, which it's really a beautiful thing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so that was a decision I had to make between my interior design business and Wingnut Social. Like you said, you're exhausted doing the two separate things. So was I. I had to choose. So and, you know that's why Wingnut Social is 100 right now. If you're new to the um, the podcast, I did used to have an interior design firm. It's still kind of there, latent, <laughs> but I, a divorce and a move and a, a gun to my head made me choose which one I love the most, and it's 100 Wingnut. Okay, so right we're going to start our whole brand we're going to you know darla powell Terra design coaching
0: where do we start the easiest way to do this is to start with one-on-one that is the easiest thing and sometimes people don't want to hear that because a lot of people want to go straight into like group coaching or just even a course right an online course and membership and you can do that but it, it really comes down to again like the financial situation and the question that really determines this is do i need money fast Right. Because if you need money fast, if you're like, okay, I'm making this switch and I just need to get money, then go for the one-on-one stuff because that's, you know, you don't need much infrastructure in place, meaning that you don't need like a launch strategy. You don't need like modules. You don't need hosting, like program hosting and funnels and all of that stuff. Cause you can literally just reach out to your current audience and say, Hey, I'm offering this And um, to get, you know, this coaching so that you can get this result, are you interested, right? And you could literally have a client tomorrow. And people don't realize that it's actually easier to sell higher ticket than it is kind of something mid or lower ticket, because it takes the same amount of effort. Whether I'm selling something that's 5,000 versus 500, like the same amount of work goes into it. So you might as well sell the higher ticket thing because you need to find less people. And you know, if you don't have a huge audience, it's gonna be easier with one-on-one. Plus I don't like to think of it, it is one-on-one, but if your intention is to eventually do some sort of like one-to-many business model, think of it more like market research, right? Because the amount of information and feedback you're going to get in that situation is really invaluable. And that can be applied into a group program, right? You will, because there's so much interaction with one-on-one, you're talking. So you're finding out in real time, like what is confusing or what people need more of or what they need less of, right? They're going to tell you like, I don't get that. Or I think I need some, something to help me implement this. Right. And so There's just a lot you can learn that will go roll over really nicely into a group program or an online course, because once you're in that container, there's less interaction. So it's a little bit harder to figure it out. So I think one-on-one coaching is a great place to start for those reasons, but some people are really adverse to it. And I get it because I don't do one-on-one anymore. I used to, I don't do it anymore. I find it exhausting. So some people are just like, nope, won't do it. I hate it. And if you're going to hate it, there's no point in doing it, right? That's not going to serve either party. So you just have to be realistic and understand that to do something like a group or a course or membership or something like that, you need volume. You need more people to sell to. And you need more infrastructure in place. So it takes time. You know, I think with any group program, one-to-one membership, like I, I'd give yourself like six to 12 months to really get it bringing in a full-time income. Whereas with one-on-one, like you could get three clients tomorrow, and make, you know, anywhere from three to 15 grand, depending on what you're you're charging, right? So I think just you have to be, you have to be willing to audience build and you have to be willing to list build. And that's what takes the time is the nurturing and the growth because you're gonna sell to people on your email list and not through social media.
1: So Wingnut Social has been making quite the mark with our full service social media marketing services for intent adjacent verticals. But did you know that we also offer search engine optimization? Search engine optimization is how you get found on the Googles, how your ideal client sees you when they're typing in interior designer in Miami, Florida. You want Susan McNuggets interior design to pop up. And there's a way to do that to optimize your website on both an off-page and on-page way, ongoing SEO with link building and blogging and all kinds of good stuff. And yes, we do all of that for you. And that's one of the most impactful ways for you to be found in an organic way by your ideal client. And even if you're doing ads, Google ads, pay-per-click ads, if your website is optimized and up-to-date in a healthy SEO way, you're going to be paying less for your ads because it's all about quality baby and getting found by your ideal client and offering that great experience on the Googles. So head on over to wingnutsocial.com, check out the SEO audit. That is where everything SEO at Wingnut starts. We'll go in and we'll do a deep dive on your website and see what's broken and how to fix it. And you can get our recommendations for what ongoing SEO would look like moving forward. That's wingnutsocial.com. Let's say we've done that, we built our email list, we have our social media following, maybe we have a podcast, we have a YouTube channel, and now we want to get into the group kind of situation. Is mastermind synonymous with group coaching? Is there a difference?
0: I would consider a mastermind as something that is longer in duration and higher touch. Group coaching, I would say like a mastermind like kind of rolls in group program into it but you know, I think it depends on how people define things. So for example, I'm in a mastermind program right now, and that includes group coaching, but also want a lot of one-on-one support. There's also like course and modules and, and, you know, there's like kind of the collaboration of the group and all of that. But what I offer my students is what I call group coaching group mentorship. And so there's no one-on-one in that, right? People don't get any one-on-one coaching. We do group coaching calls. They get a curriculum, that sort of thing. So it kind of depends. Like I think masterminds tend to be Honestly, people can make their definition for whatever they want, but most people would consider wines to be like a year long, like, you know, six to 12 month, like coaching program that goes really in depth, but in a group situation, usually with some one-on-one versus group coaching, it could also be that, but it could be shorter in duration. So I think there's a lot of overlap between the two and it just kind of depends on how people are defining it.
1: So which do you recommend starting with the group coaching? Is that the lower, the lower hanging fruit?
0: It maybe depends on the clientele because like in the business space, in the B2B space, like people know what a mastermind is. But if I'm talking to business to consumer, they might be like, well, what what the hell is a mastermind? So I think it depends on the niche. But I think group coaching there's just a lot more flexibility in that. I mean, you could call it a mastermind. It could be the same, but I think, you know, the same goes with group coaching. Like there's a huge testing phase involved in it because even if you have worked with one-on-one clients, um, and you've learned a lot from them, when you roll that over into a group container, it's still going to be different. It's delivered differently and it still needs to be tested. So I always like people to start with what I call a beta program, right? A beta program where essentially you are marketing it as a beta program, right? This is the founding program, you're offering a founding member discount, right? And that can be as much as 50% just because you're saying, Hey, this is my first time running it. And if you become a beta client and join the founding program, you're going to get this really crazy price discount, but you're going to get more access to me in exchange for feedback because that's what you want. You want feedback because the first time you roll out a group program, it's not going to hit the nail on the head. No one does that. Not even like the top marketers, coaches on the planet, like the first time there's always a lot of kinks to work out, you might find out you hate it, or it might just be totally like, Oh, I really just whatever. So you want to run it as a beta with a smaller group of people, because what I've seen people do is, you know, they have a bigger audience, they get like 50 or hundred people into a group program and it just doesn't work. And then they have all these like refund requests and it just really turns into a really stressful situation. So I like to keep betas around like 10 it's a lot more manageable, right? And so you want to do that and test it with a small group of people and then learn from that, right? Get the feedback, like send out feedback surveys, like, and then update the program. And then at that point, you can relaunch it at your higher price point, right? And you can relaunch it with confidence because you're like, people have gone through this. They've gotten results. I have these testimonials. I have social proof. I'm not just talking out of my ass saying, oh, my program's going to get you all these results when it never has, right? So there's a, you know, transparency, there's authenticity, which is really important. There's trust with that. And um and from there you can kind of do what you want with it. You can do it as a cohort style program where you maybe just launch it a few times a year if that's your thing. If you like time off in between, or maybe you're going to have like an ongoing enrollment model where people can just join whenever.
1: And how important are Facebook groups or community like social groups to help support these?
0: Community is really important. I think community is really critical in group coaching. If we're talking about online course, it depends, right? Some people like to run DIY courses where there is no support and that's cool. You just have to be transparent about that. But I find a lot of coaches in particular, at least in the space that I work in, like really care about intimacy with their clients and they care about results. And I think ultimately- the support makes a program really valuable and we're talking about group coaching. There needs to be a community. Now it doesn't have to be Facebook. I have a lot of gripes with Facebook. I feel like everyone's getting like banned and <laughs> yeah. platform lately. And it makes me just like, why am I running my groups on Facebook? Like people seem to be getting banned for silly things, but I've also like had my groups on Facebook for like five years. So it's like this huge thing. So I think if I were starting today, I wouldn't even bother with Facebook to be honest, just because I think it's risky in my opinion, but there's really great communities like circle, And mighty networks. And I've seen people do communities on Slack too. And actually, I have enjoyed Slack, but I think Circle is the one that people are really liking because it looks like Facebook. It kind of has the whole setup. It's just not Facebook, right? I think it's just something to keep in mind is um, you will get more engagement in a Facebook group because people know how to use Facebook. They already got the app on their phone. They already know how to use it. So if you're going to do a community off Facebook, there needs to be some training involved. You have to train people how to use it.
1: LinkedIn has some groups too. Yeah, LinkedIn has groups that, where you can follow in groups and you can chat and, and go in there. I belong to a couple of them. I belong to ASID and some home something mm. groups, and which I'm not over there a lot, but they do have them.
0: That's good to know. But I wonder if LinkedIn will become like Facebook. One I hope day not. And just I'm like actually
1: really enjoying. Start <laughs> yeah, off. I'm really enjoying LinkedIn. And you're right. Facebook <laughs> is not a lot of people happy with Facebook, but they're still the big kid in the room, right? They're still with because I own Instagram and everything, but. Let's talk about an online course. I've been thinking that's way advanced. You're doing your coaching. You've done your one-on-one. Now you're doing your groups or your masterminds. You've got that dialed in with your beta. What time do we start thinking about an online course and what does that structure look like?
0: Yeah. So I think if you were going to do the perfect progression, you would do one-on-one. So I think like, when we're building a program, like we are building one program and that can be repurposed into all kinds of different things, right? We start with that program. We run it as a one-on-one program. We repurpose it into a group program. We Same program, we change the container, right? So the same thing can be repurposed into an online course. And I think the beauty of when you run it as a group coaching program before is again, that feedback you co-create, right? This co-creation process with your clients is really beautiful. And that's how you make a program that's specifically for them. Because when we get into courses, typically what I would consider a course is something with less support, has less intimacy. So potentially people are only getting access to the community or a Facebook group or, you know, a circle group or LinkedIn group, whatever, or potentially they they have some Q and a calls, but typically it's going to be more like webinar style. So, you know, I talk, you type in the chat box, like we're not really actually having two-way conversation. So when that's the case, you just want to be really confident that your program is going to deliver in that format when people have less support, meaning that it needs to be like a manual, right? Like if we're talking about like a desk, building a desk, like if you get generic, like general overview instructions that don't actually help you build the desk, you're going to be pissed versus like, I put the things together and then I use this tool and I turn the screw three times and you know, whatever, like it has to be that specific with a course, like you have to assume people know nothing. And doing that well comes from actually interacting with the people of whom you're going to serve, right? So I think, you know, once you are really clear on your curriculum, And you're like, this curriculum works. People get it. They're not getting too confused. Like, you know, and I've added in all these things and it's getting the result that I promise. Like, that's a really good time to roll it into an online course. If you want, you don't have to. Some people don't want to do that. And that's cool. But with courses, like typically we're kind of going lower ticket, right? From high ticket one-on-one down to like kind of a lower ticket course. You just want to make sure you have the audience in order to, sustain that and you want to make sure you have consistent source of traffic. So that could be organic. I would say you got to be really good with your organic in order to have that be consistent. Organic traffic is hard these days, right? So that might be the situation in which you're considering like paid traffic, paid ads, Google ads, Facebook ads. A
1: friend of mine, Sandra Funk, she has a course called the design standard it's pretty comprehensive, and she does a little bit of both. It's a course that you can take, but she also is there in person. It's like a little bit of a hybrid, and she does that seasonally. Mm. It's very high-end. It's not. Um, it's, it's a very good investment to get into. It's well worth it. I've taken it. It was a beta tester for it back when she first started it. But I like that. Is that sustainable? Because I, I don't know if she's still on them, but she's in them, or at least she was in them, every one, and it's a lot. It's a lot of work to be in there at, at some point. So I can't even imagine her automating that, you know, to being just being a passive income Mm. without her being involved in it. Would that be the next step?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can I would say you can automate it to a a certain point. And I think like, depending, like, for example, um, with uh, the course that I told you about the beginning that I don't market, because it kind of sells itself, like I'm actually not involved in that course right? Like I have coaches who work in it for me and they're in the Facebook group. And I'm just, I'm just in the course doing the, mo- the pre-recorded module. So I'm actually, I've actually pulled myself nice. fully out of that, but it kind of depends. And I think you can have whatever business you want. And it just depends on like how important- Um, It is for you to actually interact like me personally with that course. Like I'm not super passionate about coaching for that, but I think the course is great and people love it and get results out of it. And I have coaches who are really passionate and that's great. When it comes to what I do with business coaching, I don't think I'll ever pull myself fully out of it because I love it, but I still have coaches who work in it for me. So I take things off my plate so it can be sustainable. So in the case of like this program, like she probably is going to be the one doing the live events people are going to want that. That's, I mean, that's huge value, but she doesn't have to be the only one doing the live events, right? She can bring in guest experts. She can have her team facilitate. And in the program, like she can bring in other coaches to do the coaching or take over the Facebook group or whatever it is, or even do the one-on-one calls, right? right? Like if I was ever to bring one-on-one coaching into my current program, Health Coach Accelerator, um, I wouldn't be the one doing it because I hate <laughs> one-on-one. So I'd get someone else to do it. So I think we have to... um <laughs> Just saying, love my old one-on-one clients, <laughs> but I just like, I find it you exhausting. loved it when you were I, It's doing exhausting. It, right. <laughs> I loved it when I was doing yeah. it until I didn't. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh man, I just find, I literally feel like it sucks my soul for whatever reason. Anyways, but group coaching, I love it. For some reason, like group coaching is super fun it's for people It's a lot me, more so. energy.
1: It's a, it's a lot less, um, one-to-one pressures. Like, I don't know if you're like I am, but I'm an introvert. Yeah. I'm like an introverted extrovert, right? So I'll do this, I'll do video, I'll do events, yes, but then me. I need the downtime, I need to recover. I'm, I can't just go, go, go. So I just, it is a little draining to have one-on-one because you're just giving, you're giving yeah, a lot totally. of energy. So I get that.
0: And I feel like it requires more time on your computer if you're doing online, right? Because then you, you're you going to have a bunch of one-on-one versus <laughs> you know just one group coaching yeah. program. But I think what people need to let go of is that they need to do everything and they don't. You can still have an incredibly valuable program that- it doesn't hinge on you where you're not the linchpin in everything, right? You can bring coaches in to help you. And I think sometimes that can even be really valuable because everyone has different experience. Perhaps like this coach, like they have another experience that they bring in that just really adds to the value. Of the I love program. that. That's
1: aspirational to get to the yeah. point to where you have coaches working under you and you're just like you said you're doing the video or you're doing the rainmaking or the main part of it but they're doing the coaching part that would be the the goal i would think i mean some some business owners don't want to grow or scale to that point but
0: totally some people just want to do one-on-one forever and that's cool you know like that's fine like it, it's really about the business that you want and i think definitely like you know, you can scale one-on-one to a certain point. Obviously, there's a ceiling to that. But sometimes, like, you can have a multiple six-figure business just yeah. in one-on-one. Yeah,
1: for sure. Look at uh, Grant Cardone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he does pretty well. Kendra, yeah. is there anything that I've forgotten to ask you that you think the audience needs to hear before we get into the fire round?
0: If you are burnt out, like Darla said at the beginning about, you're like, I'm burnt out, like this interior design shit, like, isn't for me. Like, there's still a lot of opportunity where you can still like be in the same space that you're in. You just leverage your skills in a little bit of a different way. So just think a little bit bigger and and know that like people will pay for that. Like, absolutely. There are other designers who probably think you're awesome. You're all following each other. They just really like your style. And that's something you could teach to people. And so I just think there's a lot of opportunity for your audience.
1: Great food for thought. But Kendra Perry, now I have to ask you, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? (laughs) Yes.
2: Now it's time for What Up Wingnut.
0: What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Through the fence. (laughs) I just it's something that my partner always says to me. He's like, you're just like when you want to do something. It's like people will put a fence up in front of you and you just like don't even hesitate. You just walk (laughs) through it. I've been like that in like my entire like business. And I'm just like, nope, I don't want to do that through the fence. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're stuck
1: on a deserted island, but you can have your favorite food forever. What's it going to be?
0: Honestly, is super boring, but like white rice, butter and salt. I love white rice. It's just like, I don't know why. Like, just, I could just live off it. Like, even plain, even if you didn't have the butter or salt, I would just like eat the white rice plain. It's ridiculous.
1: I like it too. I understand. I I get it. It's fine. There's no judgment here. Last but not least, please recommend a book that has impacted you either personally or professionally.
0: You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay some people will probably know that book. It's pretty popular, but she was a woman who kind of used like energy and like the power of thought to cure her like pretty progressive cancer, I believe. And at the time I was a pretty negative person and i was having really negative thoughts about everything and wondering why i was kept having the experience over and over and over again and i was having this one experience with dating actually and i um i read that book and i realized that i was thinking really negatively about like love and relationships and dating and i changed my thoughts and within 4 weeks i met this really amazing partner who didn't turn out to be my forever partner but it taught me a lot about like the power of what we put out there into the universe so i'm
1: going to download that one you can
0: you can heal your life by louise hay that was probably the first personal development book that i read where i was like whoa like i am manifesting like a really <laughs> shitty reality for myself <laughs>
1: Well no no more. No more shitty reality for yeah. you, Kendra Perry. Please tell the audience where they can go to find out more about you and we'll call it a day. The best place to connect
0: with me on social is Instagram. That's where I hang out. My handle is at Kendra Perry Inc. My website is KendraPerry.net and I also have a podcast where we talk about coaching, business strategy, tech, mindset. We talk about some woo-woo weird shit too, and that is the wealthy coach podcast.
1: All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kendra.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. So what do you think? Are you going to try your hand at becoming an online business coach? I think uh, Kendra Perry made a cogent argument for just how to do that, especially with her story. Make sure to head on over to wingnutsocial.com slash podcast and check out Kendra's show notes so you can get all of the links and deets and information if you are unable to write this down for any reason which you can do for any of our episodes. Head on over there. I hope you join us tomorrow, June 30th, Eastern Standard Time for our webinar at 11 a.m. with Rochelle Plett. That's gonna be amazing. And head on over to wingnutsocial.com just to check out what we can do for you as interior designers, architects, and to the trade manufacturers to help you get seen by your ideal client in the digital realm. All right, until next time, remember to get out there, get uncomfortable. All right, ready? I'm ready. All right. Oh, please stand by the mailman. (laughs) I'm a retired cop, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I've heard it all. (laughs) Canadians are the nicest. Why are you guys so nice? (laughs) I feel like we're nice to a fault. Like, come on, Canadians, like, get some balls.
1: (laughs) Good boy, Mango.